What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central please remain and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, travellers from South Africa and five other countries in the region will now have to self-isolate for 10 days, with those arriving after 4am on Sunday required to quarantine in a hotel. That's after the UK put the countries on its travel red list following the discovery of a new Covid variant that officials say is highly concerning. Meanwhile, France has cancelled talks with the UK on how to stop people making the dangerous attempt to cross the English Channel. In a dramatic deterioration of an already strained relationship, the French Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin has told his British counterpart Priti Patel that he's scrapping discussions with her that were planned for Sunday in protest at Boris Johnson's public demand that France take migrants back. Well, in a separate dispute, French fishermen have started blocking access to ports in northern France in an attempt to pressure the UK over post-Brexit fishing rights. They're also set to block freight from using the Eurotunnel between Britain and France. The UK has called on Paris to make sure that trade is not interrupted. Well, those are a few of the top political headlines this morning, but let's get on to the subject of today's special programme, the future of Britain's workforce. Data this week showed that migration from the European Union actually went into reverse last year for the first time in 30 years, with a net 94,000 EU nationals leaving Britain during the pandemic. Separate analysis by the Resolution Foundation has found that there are now more younger women in work than ever, as the pandemic drove structural changes to the labour market, including many older workers and men dropping out. Well, the think tank says that about 580,000 people have become economically inactive and no longer want to work since COVID hit in March 2020. So what will the country's labour force look like in 12 months' time? And what would it look like in five years when we'll be heading into 2027? Well, joining us now is Mike Brewer. He's Chief Economist at the Resolution Foundation. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the programme today. Now, in your research, you found that older people have left the the labour force, which is perhaps not that surprising, but also... Um, younger men. What's the explanation for that? Well, young people in most recessions usually uh, reduce their activity rate um, because of the lack of availability of jobs. But usually they do that by hiding in education, if you like. So they, they see the labour market is tough and more people decide to stay in education, whether that be staying in further education or higher education for a bit longer. So we've seen a bit of that in this crisis. Uh, we've also seen that some people who are in education are, are no longer working at the same time. So the phenomenon of students with part-time jobs has declined. That's also that's unsurprising, as most many students who are working do so in hospitality or leisure or retail, and so jobs have been harder to find. But it's, but it's more than just that. So we have also seen um, 
a, a rise in young people who are not in education and not in employment. And that's the worrying, the worrying factor, because if that takes hold, we know that can lead to permanent damage to these young people's careers and earnings in the future. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, where have those young men gone? Uh, meanwhile, an increase on the flip side in women working with about half a million moving from part time to full time work during the pandemic. I mean, we've talked a lot about the pandemic and, you know, it's unequal effects on people. Why is it that women are working so much more? It's quite a significant change. It is a big change. Actually, it really stands out internationally as uh, where the UK has just seen a really different uh, experience in in how men and women are responding to the pandemic than almost every other country in the world, uh, and in particular the US, where people talk about the she session. That's not the case at all in the UK. Um, Women now make up 48% of the workforce, which is the highest rate ever, and and as you said, more women are working full-time than ever before. Um, now, again, we, are, we try to unpack this. We think there are three things going on. Let me try and say what those three things are fairly quickly. One of them is just a continuation of, of long-term trends. So all through the last decade and probably beyond that, too, the UK economy has just becoming, has become, sorry, the UK labour market has become a little bit more female-friendly. So the sectors that have been growing are sectors that women tend to do well in. And in the pandemic, that has been principally what I would call generally office jobs, uh, whether that be professional office jobs uh, or, or more basic administrative jobs. Uh, so they, they've been growing through the pandemic. And for women, okay. that has helped, well, for women, that has helped offset the decline in hospitality and retail, which, also, which are also sectors that employ quite often. So that's like a long-term trend that's been going on through the pandemic. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. ma- male sectors like construction and manufacturing, lost a lot of jobs during the pandemic. Um, but then there were two things which are particular about the coronavirus pandemic, which have boosted uh, women's employment. One of them has been the ability to work from home. And I'm not going to say this has transformed women's labor market opportunities, but we see clear evidence in our survey. We surveyed 6,000 working-age adults. Clear evidence amongst parents, and particularly mothers, but the ability to work from home has really helped them work during the pandemic. Um, and, we, um, and if we zoom in on mothers with young children, we can see a, a really large five percentage point increase in the employment rate of mothers of children under the age of four, which um, is, just, is really, really a really, really increase. It's just a and surpri- period. Surprising in some ways, you would have thought, yeah. Well, yes. We, we, I mean, other research has shown that mothers who had to work from home during the pandemic also suffered in their mental health, particularly in the, in the full lockdowns when schools were not there. So I'm not saying that um, homeworking has always been a boon, but the survey does suggest that for, for some mothers, it has helped them work or, or increase their hours in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, and the third reason is, is sort, of a, a, sort of a push factor, which is that in our survey, um, quite a lot of women said that they have worked more or chosen to work more because their partner has seen an income hit. So perhaps their partner has been made unemployed or their partner was put on the furlough for a long period of time. And so to make up the earnings in the family, the secondary earner, which is more likely than not to be a woman, has decided to move into work or increase, increase their hours. That's also something we tend to see during recessions and, and you know, with the coronavirus. in the coronavirus crisis. We saw that just like we saw after the financial crisis.
That's interesting stuff. L- looking broadly over your your findings, um, how how many of these do you think are, are temporary things that happened during this exceptional period, and how many of these things do you think are structural changes we're going to see going forward uh, as we eventually move out of the of the pandemic? Yeah, so that's the absolutely the absolutely key question. I think on that rise in female employment, that is probably going to be permanent. Um, if if the pandemic has allowed mothers to return to work early than they would have otherwise, well, they're going to stay in the labour market, I would imagine. Um, so, so I think the pandemic has probably slightly accelerated the, the, the share of our workforce as a female, and that could only be a good thing. For older workers, though, which we'd come back to there, well, I mean, that, I think that the, so we, know, we know that older workers have reduced their labour market participation in this crisis. And you, you said it was unsurprising. I, I, I imagine that's because this is a, a, a crisis rooted in, in with, with, with a health component mm-hmm. to it and whether the virus has more effect on people. In fact, in previous crises, this has not been the case. So it is a little bit surprising, looking at previous recessions, that older people have stepped back. And if that were to become permanent, then I think that is more worrying. And it's worrying both from the point of view of the individuals concerned. So if you do decide to step out of the labour market in your 50s, you're potentially giving up on the 10 to 15 years of time in the labour market, and it means you're much more likely to retire with a low income. And some people can afford to do that, and others can't. And it's also a problem for the economy as a whole, because in the last decade, we saw the vast majority of the increase in our labour force coming from people over the age of 50. Yeah, old, so older people, people coming are, in. Exactly. Well, I was going to ask you then about the one component that we haven't sort of talked about, um, which is your research says that the numbers dropping out of the workforce outstrip the estimated 170,000 migrants who left during the crisis. So what impact do you think that types of immigration rules and lower migration will actually have on the labour market too, sort of briefly? Yeah, I mean, we, we made the comparison because we thought that this increase in inactivity had not received as much attention in the in the media as had the supposed fall in the number of migrants. Mm. So, yeah, but yes, there are undoubtedly um, supply pressures at the moment and difficulties recruiting in some sector. What we were trying to say is, well, that's not just the fault. Not just not just because there are fewer migrants. It's also because. Uh, people in the UK have just decided to work a bit less and step back from the labour market. So if businesses are worried about uh, recruitment difficulties, you know, they, they shouldn't just be, they, they, they should not just be pushing for more migration, they should also be asking the government, what can we do to make older workers feel safe to come back to the workforce? But the point you're raising, which is also true, is that, yeah, there is a potential for a double hit here, both if um, older workers are stepping back, stepping out of the labour market at the same time as uh, migration figures are falling. Uh, in the end, you know, those two components added together means that we will likely will are likely to have a smaller labour force in the future, and uh, that is going to ultimately reduce the size of the economy, with implications for tax revenues in future. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So how will the shape of the UK's labour market change as and when we eventually move out of this pandemic? Research from the Institute for Employment Studies says that many young people report poor working conditions after the pandemic compared to before COVID hit. 62% of young people surveyed by the think tank feel that the pandemic has had a negative effect on their confidence, with more than half also saying their mental health has impacted their ability to access good quality work. Well, joining us now is Tony Wilson, Director of the Institute for Employment Studies. Tony, thanks uh, so much for joining us today. Let's start off with this research on younger workers. How much harder have they been hit than, than older workers? Um, well, thanks for having me on. So, yeah, our research and actually a whole range of research analysis as well has found pretty clearly that young people were hit amongst the hardest of any group in the labour market um, during the crisis itself. So you know, during 2020. Um, and the reasons for that aren't massively surprising. I mean, you know, this is recessions um, and big labour market shocks tend to hit young people harder because employers tend to stop recruiting and young people are more likely to be looking for work than other groups at any point in time. Um, and also, they, you know, they often lay off people who, who may have started most recently. And again, young people tend to be more, you know, more likely to, to be those sort of last in, first out. Um, uh, redundancies. But, you know, really importantly, obviously, the crisis hit particularly hard in the sorts of industries that young people work in, like um, like hospitality, like retail, but also in things like children's care. So a lot of um, a lot of children's centres, a lot of um, nurseries you know, closed down during the pandemic, uh, certainly in those early months, and that hit young women in particular. So that was, you know, last year was really, really difficult for young people. Um, thankfully, a lot of people went into education, um, and they've sort of sheltered out, you know, they've sort of ridden out of the pandemic by staying in education. But we're seeing even now, although jobs are recovering and they are recovering for young people too, you know, as our report has shown, there's some really big issues here around quality of work, access to work and the kind mm. of the longer term effects the pandemic's had on young people. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Mental health. I mean, that has hit yeah. young people very hard, but it's also hit others, of course. Lots of people yeah. have suffered. Worries about career, about pay, around access to good jobs. How much of that do you think could be temporary? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think we all hope it, hope it will be. And I think, you know, we're talking today, obviously, about the kind of future of work and, mm. and in the sort of here and now, you know, we are seeing, obviously, with a really tight labour market, the tightest labour market, we think, that we, our, our analysis suggests the tightest labour market in at least 50 years. Um, that is going to push firms, and I hope, hopefully in a, in a positive way, we'll be pushing firms to look to make work more secure um, and more permanent rather than temporary work, give people more more control over the hours that they work, so more flexibility on the shifts they do. Also, we hear a lot of firms that, that, are, that are focusing much more on induction, for example, and on-the-job training, and much more on how they retain people in work too. All those things, in the medium term, will be, if they stick, will be really beneficial for young people in particular. But in the short term, you know, we were really surprised by some of the findings here. You know, we had, you know, three-fifths saying that the pandemic had affected their confidence in looking for work. Um, you know, half saying that the pandemic had an impact on 
how they value the quality of work. You know, in other words, that, that, that it's even more important for them now. And these and the figures on mental health were concerning. Again, it was you know well over half who said that mental health that their mental health had an impact on their ability. Mm to access good quality work. And we were really surprised by that. And I do think, you know, something that, that employers need to be really conscious of, that, that this isn't just a kind of snowflake generation phenomenon. You know, this is, this is young people who, who've been in a really difficult place and we need to try to recognise that and support that as best we can in, in, in the workplace and when we're thinking about how we recruit and how we support people. Mm. Looking more broadly at the labour market, the, the, the numbers yeah. look, look pretty rosy, don't they? There are record number of vacancies, pay rates are rising, particularly at the yeah. lower end. Surely these things should help people to be to be more picky, in, perhaps in a way that they they, they couldn't yeah. be picky in the past. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think and I think actually, um, I mean, Caroline made a good point as well that that it's not just young people who are who you know who who, who struggle. I mean, older older workers in particular, you know, have been hit really hard in the, in, in the pandemic over fifties. Um, and it is and it is that kind of. Um, that contraction, that that fall in participation at both ends, younger workers and older workers, it's fueling this tightening the labour market. These that, that means vacancies are staying open for longer, it's harder to fill jobs, and you know, in some respects, I think that will mean that you know, job quality should, one would hope, which should, should start to improve, and um, and people can be more selective. It's you know, it, it's rosy in many respects. You know, looking at looking at the data, it's far better than. God, this is a nice problem to have. It's better than the problem we thought we'd have: mass unemployment. But I think there's a, you know, this is a kind of, this is a bubbling crisis now around recruitment for many, many firms all across the country, but also participation. And similar to Mike um, Brewer and Resolution Foundation's report earlier in the month, you know, we've pointed to there being a participation gap of about a million in the labour market, mm. you know, a million fewer people in the labour market than there were, would have been on pre-crisis trends. That's not, that's not, you know, migration is not the biggest factor there. You know, this is being explained by older people leaving the workforce, younger people staying in education, and it is just driving, you know, these labour shortages, these skill shortages, and and ultimately that's going to feed through into real effects in the economy, lower growth, higher inflation, you know, and lower standards of living ultimately. Yeah, which is bad news for everybody. Um, yeah. And then the issue of the question mark, really, that people um, aren't sure about is how much of that is to do with quality of work. I mean, you know, yeah. would it be a surprise if, you know, something like a massive shock, the pandemic changed people's attitudes to work? You know, maybe yeah. not. Low pay uh, and low paid work has been an issue for a long time. You know, think zero hours contracts. Is anything changing with that, with the quality of yeah. work now post pandemic? Are people thinking harder about that? Well, I, I think we are starting to see that. We're definitely seeing that with employers, um, and we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that on on the high street. We're seeing, you know, in um, in uh, in like food retailers, for example. Um, you know, in um, in um, we're seeing that in in a lot of uh, uh, in industrial jobs as well, uh, like in um, uh, you know, particularly manufacturing, construction. We're seeing this in um, uh, and you know, more, much more difficult actually, but seeing this in social care too, where they're struggling with really high vacancy rates, the highest vacancy rates we've seen actually in social care, nearly a hundred thousand vacancies in social care. So, you know, it, so I think firms are going to have to respond by doing that. But, but, but I, I, my own feeling, I think the data is showing this, showing this too, is this fall in participation is primarily being driven by the the, the disruptive effect that the crisis has had on people's um, on people's work. You know, a lot of people did leave work even though jobs were protected. Many people left work, particularly older workers. Um, and so it's that kind of, it's the push factors out of work ultimately, I think, that are still holding down participation rather than those pull factors into work. Improving job quality will make a difference, but ultimately we've got to do much better at finding and supporting people who aren't looking for work 
but who previously were in work um, so that they can get ready for work, prepare for work. And that's going to be the job of, of government, of local services and of employers, I think, in doing that. And what are the implications in terms of, of government policy yeah. for, for, for getting getting people back into work? Just, just tell yeah. us what the, what the prescription is on that front. Well, it's really hard. It's going to be hard. I think, you know, we credit to the government on the plan for jobs last summer. Um, the job retention scheme, you know, protected millions of jobs. Um, the um, And its extension, you know, protected jobs too. You know, we invested a lot in, 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 in increasing capacity in Job Centre Plus, a number of programmes to help unemployed people into work. But ultimately, we've averted that mass unemployment crisis. And that is the one that we were preparing for and what all the focus has been on. When we're thinking about then how we, how we help for people who aren't unemployed into work, by which I mean people who are out of work but not looking for work, then these are much more difficult issues. These tend to be older people, they tend to have health conditions, or they're parents of young children, but they're also, for example, students in full-time education. And many of them, most of those people, will not be in touch with Job Centre Plus. They won't be in touch with employment services. So we have to be able to reach them. That's often through other public services. We need to be much better at then joining up employment and health and childcare and other support that can help give people pathways back to work. That's not quick. And at the moment, we're not investing in that. That's not where we're focusing. And so mm. we're missing out. We've got a massive untapped labour pool here that we could do much more to support and invest in. But it is going to be a big... Um, it's, it's, it will require a quite a different a change in mindset. And it will yeah. mean some of that investment we made last year being focused in different ways on different groups. It is a conundrum, though. Why is it that, that those people have left the workforce? Yeah. And also, there is yeah. a question, and the US has looked at this too, is it a change, perhaps, to the two-paycheck um, household, to, to you know, two yeah. people working per household? I, I, I think, I think we... You know, we still have an economy that, that really, if you're in a, if you've, if you've got kids, if you're in a family, you, you need, you need to, you, for the most part, to, to keep out of poverty. You need, you need um, at least one, and probably both parents working, both people working, and that's not going to, to change. We've definitely seen more women being pulled into the labour market because of, because their their partner has has lost income, for example, because that's helping to explain this higher higher activity rate, higher participation for younger women. Um, so there probably is um, is is a bit of that, but 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 there's underlying reasons why people leave work you know, that, that we haven't addressed, why people leave work when they're older or have health conditions, or why they find it harder to get back to work when they're older and have health conditions. And both things matter. It's, it's, you know, we need to reduce exits and we need to improve entry to work. And some of that is just that we're really bad in this country at occupational health support in the workplace, and we've run it down o- over years. We're not great at workplace training um, either, which is one of the things that helps to keep people in work and reskill people for other jobs. Our public employment services tend not to reach people who don't claim the right bit of benefit. So if you're a young, if you're a student looking for work, you know, it's, it's hard to know where you go to get that help. You can walk into an agency and if you're lucky, the agency will have work for you. But if we don't have, you know, there's market failures we're not addressing. So there's a lot of big underlying structural things that were bad before the crisis and they're worse now. And that's, and, you know, we've got an opportunity here. because we had a lot of investment in the last year in job centre plus and employment services. We just need, rather than cut that investment now, because we've averted mass unemployment, we need to refocus it on these other groups who are further from work, more disadvantaged. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. 
Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.